You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Welcome, everybody. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for Thursday, the 11th of November, 2021. Thank you all for tuning in. Apologies, we're running about 15 minutes late. <laughs> there was a missing plug, and uh, there was uh, <laughs> different technical problems there. There always, always seems to be something. Praise God, there doesn't seem to be any problems from the stream. However, I have been informed that even... Even if there seems to be a problem with the stream, I think as long as the audio gets gets through, it seems to work out fine. Thank you to your continued support, those who are listening. And uh, today's program, we're going to be doing uh, pretty similar to last Thursday. And there was a program that I, I have a number of things that I'd like to cover on the trans movement and what I see basically as collapse of the West and so was hoping to do that today but need a, an extra few days to go through it and research basically looking at a lot of news stories there's basically been an avalanche of bizarre and growing opposition open opposition to the created order and that's kind of what it is uh, I, I've done programs before in this, but I think it's almost, I will be looking at a lot of stories that have been coming out in the last couple of months, cherry picking a few of them, and trying to think about what we can do in order to deal with it, because I, I think this is very much in our face, to the point that it it's almost impossible to ignore it. And the Lord sends us such difficulties. By his sovereign hand, there are difficult times that will come. And it's ultimately for the good of his church, for the good of his bride, and God will be glorified in all these things. So we have got to almost think about when we do face difficulties, how can we grow? Where, what, what is God, what does God want me to learn from this experience? That's what we need to ask ourselves as we face difficulties. And there's no silver bullet. There's no, here's the greatest apologetics course, and you learn this, and you'll be fine. It's hard. And there's things that will stretch you, no matter how much experience you have as a Christian or not. There will be things that are coming. And, and I think largely it's coming because of the apathy and the asleep-at-the-wheel attitude that we have in the church today. Now, nothing new. I was having a chat with a brother a couple of hours ago. We were talking about this. And, you know, throughout church history, there have been ebbs and flows. There's been high points, and often the high points we look at. 
when we look at church history, we remember the Martin Luthers, you know, the, we remember the John Calvins, remember all those kind of things. We don't remember the, the decline, largely, the decline that led to it. And even those people who are, we remember and we're thankful for their brave stand, they themselves probably prior to that, and this is not to give an excuse for it, were probably not anything impressive up until that point. Um, we may be, over the last 18, 19 months, whatever it's, it is now, I'm just going to check my audio there. Is it loud enough? Hopefully that's, seems to be. I don't know why that's down. Um, the I think that's a bit better. Yeah, that sounds a bit better. Yeah. Um I think we can be maybe disappointed with a lot of the the sluggishness maybe in the church to move on from the pandemic and all this kind of stuff. But if we look at throughout church history, we're going to realize that this has largely been the way things are. Even in those golden ages, if you want to call it that, during the 17th century. You'll find that some of the people on your shelf who you greatly benefit from and have greatly blessed the church will have disappointed people in the pew in front of them at times. We're all sinners. Again, don't use that as an excuse. We're not to compare ourselves with other people. We're not to kind of come out thinking we're better than other people. But to remind ourselves that all these men throughout church history, whatever the case may be, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We celebrate God. We celebrate his goodness, his kindness, his love toward us because... If our trust is in man, it doesn't matter who that man is. They will disappoint. There's only one man who's ever walked upon the face of the earth who should never disappoint us, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, on today's program, we're going to be dealing with more questions from the larger catechism under this title. Why are we saved? Or, to ask it another way, why are Christians saved? That might sound strange, because we believed. And I'll say, why did you believe? And why did your nice neighbor, who, morally speaking, in many ways, is probably far better than you, why did you believe and your neighbor didn't? Or whatever the case may be. Why do we trust in Christ, but not, not others? Because... Without such questions, we may think, we may falsely think, we may be lulled into thinking we're better than those who didn't. And hopefully, by God's grace, we'll have a greater pity for those who don't know Christ and realize, but for the grace of God, we will be exactly where they are. And we're going to be starting from question 66 of the Westminster Larger Catechism. Now, a good scripture reference or something good to read we're going to be reading it now in our bibles is john 17 christ's high priestly prayer he is praying 
to his father in heaven. And that very much, that prayer very much shows why some are saved and not others. Because he prays to his father, he prays for certain glory to come in the first few verses. And then he prays for, not for the world, but for them whom the Father has given him. And this is the only reason why any of us have ever come to Christ. I was thinking earlier about people I knew from years ago, and sometimes you hear about things, you know, people I knew from years ago, and I almost, you know, you almost kind of think of people you know, friends you used to have before, before you were Christian and things like that. And, and you think of the difference because Christ does change you. If you're, if you are a believer, it is because Christ has changed you. If there's no change in you. There has been no repentance. There has been no saving faith. And I'm talking about somebody who's really come to faith later in life. Or at least at some stage, maybe even her childhood, God will change you. He will change you. But John 17 is the reason why, if you are listening, you're a Christian, it is because of this high priestly prayer. It is because of God the Father choosing a people for himself, a people he gave to his son, a people who Jesus came to die for, And that is why you are a Christian. It's not because we're smarter than anyone else. It's not because we're better than anyone else. If it had anything to do with that, most of us wouldn't be saved. If it was the best, nicest people around, most Christians would not be Christians. God saves some of the worst people. Now, every single person, regardless, deserves the wrath of God. But God shows mercy to his chosen people, to his elect. So let us read John 17. Before we do so, we'll pray to Almighty God for his guidance as we hear God's holy and infallible word. Almighty God, Father in heaven, we pray, O Lord, that you would please bless this reading of your word. Please guide us and lead us. May your face shine upon us. Help us, O Lord, to understand your word, to appreciate it, and Lord, to grow closer to you. Almighty Father, we pray, O Lord, for those listening live. We pray also for those who will listen later. We pray, O Lord, that it would be a blessing and an encouragement in these dark and difficult days. May your word be a healing balm through whatever we're going through, whatever we're suffering through. May it embolden us, may it encourage us, may it remove any elements of pride from our hearts. And may we pity those who don't know you. May we pray for those who don't know you. We do not know who among them are your elect, O Lord. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. John 17, let us hear God's word. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, 
the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me through your through. Oh, sorry, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are with you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I come forth from, forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours. And yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept and none of them is lost except for the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, and I also sent them into the world, and for your sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me, and they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave, he may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you have sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I and them. And may the Lord bless 
the reading of his word. So if you have your Westminster Larger Catechism, we can start, we're going to be starting question 66 again under that theme. Why are we saved or why are Christians saved or how did you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ? It's a vital question. I don't think it's a question that we think of enough. So often we can think of, well, I believed. And then you have to think of, well, is the reason that you are not like your lost neighbor, the reason you are not on the way to hell, is something within you. And we go, oh, no, 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 no. It's not not of myself, lest any man should boast. So what is the difference? The difference is God. The difference is God's mercy. The difference is God's grace and kindness. We may struggle with why did he pick me and not someone else? Now, the, the scriptures don't tell us God is wise and everything he's, he does is just and holy. We don't deserve the least of his mercies. None of us do. But there is a good reason. It is not without reason. And frankly, friends, this reason would not help us to walk with God here. It wouldn't help us grow. It wouldn't help us grow in maturity. Everything in the scriptures, all scriptures given by inspiration of God and his Profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction, righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped unto every good work. You know, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. The sufficiency of Scripture. We have everything needed. We don't have everything that ever happened in Jesus' life. John tells us at the end of his gospel that if that were the case, the world itself probably wouldn't be able to contain the books with all these accounts. But we have everything we need. And also say this. God would have given us more information if it would have helped us. But we have everything we need to live a holy and godly life in the scriptures. This does not mean we don't study history. This does not mean we don't study all sorts of other things. But the, the, the scriptures are sufficient to know him. The, the scriptures are sufficient to obey him. His revealed will. And his revealed will shares with us the fact that he has a special people who he came to save. The elect. Those chosen by the Father before the foundation of the world. So question 66 says this, What is that union which the elect have with Christ? What is that union which the elect have with Christ? Answer, the union which the elect have with Christ is the work of God's grace, whereby they are spiritually and mystically, yet really and inseparably, joined to Christ as their head and husband, which is done in their effectual calling. 
Christ comes, he represents, as we saw there in John 17, he comes and represents his people, past, present, and future. Now, even the people who were not upon the face of the earth at that time, us, anybody who believes in Christ today, he represents you. He prayed for you in the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And that union which Jesus has is brought into, you could say, into reality, into a different plane, or whatever you want to call it, is brought into time and space by their effectual calling, by the calling of God, which leads to repentance unto life. The calling of God, which equips, enlivens, opens their eyes, their heart, their will, their affections to the heinousness of sin to turn from it because they see this and they do it willingly because they no longer enjoy it. It is a stench to their nostrils, spiritually speaking. And they turn to the most beautiful thing before them. The Lord Jesus Christ. So that union with the elect, whereby they are spiritually, mystically, yet really and inseparably, joined to Christ as their head and husband, which is done in their effectual calling. You see, there's a union which happens in their representation. Christ comes to represent all redeemed humanity, those who have not even come to faith in Jesus Christ, at that point, also that union really happens, really and inseparably, at their effectual calling. When they come to know him by faith and by faith alone. Faith is the alone instrument by which they are saved. Let's look at the next question because you may have some questions in your head. And if there's any questions at this point, please feel free. Megiddo. Radio, M-E-G-I-D-D-O, radio at gmail.com. I have the uh, the Gmail account open in front of me. If you have any questions, please ask away, and I will do my best to answer during the program or after the program. If it can be later on, you might be listening to this, th- you know, the podcast, and it's not too late, don't worry. Um, I might not be the best person to ask, quite frankly, and I'm not seeking that you... A- you know what? Can I be quite honest? I think the best thing to do is go to your minister, go to your elders. Not with a big long list of questions, but just ask them things, you know, from time to time and, and learn because they're the shepherds under which God has placed you. I hope that this program's a help, but I'm not them. Again, I hope, just like vitamins in your diet, I hope this will be a help. Hopefully, it'll be an encouragement to you. This is like an extra added on. You know, hopefully, it may replace something. Maybe, you know, maybe rather than listening to some some other type of program, you're listening to this, and it's more Christian, and it encourages that way. That's hopefully what will happen. But I think there's always a danger sometimes to think that I, I don't always have the answers, and but if 
you would if you want to do both and you want to ask your elders and me that's fine I, i'll do my best to answer by god's grace but try and build up that relationship with the elders with, with which you're which with which you're with and and to be a blessing and it'll be an encouragement to them by the way if you go to your elders and you go to them and you're asking questions i don't mean asking kind of like trying to Sometimes people can go asking questions and it almost looks like you feel like you're being trying to be caught out. Um, now be patient. Maybe they might not have the best answer at that moment, but they might come back to you later on. And that can be a tremendous encouragement to them because they think, oh, you are searching through the scriptures. And that will that might be the difference in their day and massive encouragement to them and helping them to continue labor in the study to bring holy or the, bring the holy scriptures before you. Bring holy meals before you. Question 67. What is effectual calling? Effectual calling answer. The answer. Uh, effectual calling is the work of God's almighty power and grace. Whereby out of his free and special love to his elect. And from nothing in them. Moving him thereunto. He doth in his accepted time, invite and draw them to Jesus Christ by his word and spirit, savingly enlightening their minds, renewing and powerfully determining their wills, so as they, although in themselves dead in sin, are hereby made willing and able freely to answer his call and to accept and embrace the grace offered and conveyed therein. So let's go through this question 67. It is the work of God's almighty power and grace. Again, it is God's power, it is God's grace. The reason why you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, is because of God's grace. Now, that is not a get-out-of-jail-for-those-people who are listening. Say, well, you know, I'm not a Christian, and because... I'm not, you might say, oh, I'm not one of the elect or something like that. Nothing stops you. If you're not a Christian, nothing stops you. The only thing that stops you from coming to Christ is your own heart. It's because you don't want him. All who are willing to come can come. But know this as well. If you do come willingly, it is because he has given you a new heart and a new nature. Again, it's like the idea of he has given you eyes to see. But then with your own eyes, you will behold the beauty of the sunset. You'll see how glorious it actually is. And you'll see how horrible other things are. So you turn from what is horrible to what is wonderful. He's given you new taste buds. He has given you a new, you could say, a sense of smell. So that Christ is now a sweet-smelling aroma before you. And the world, the fallen world, the world that is wed to sin, wed to this world, terrified of losing it, that world, that fallen system, that ethical system that is in rebellion against God is a stench before you. Another way of saying that is your holy hatred is against it. 
it makes you ill. So you know, this world is not our home. There is a world to come. There are new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So it is the work of God's almighty power and grace, whereby out of his free and special love to his elect and from nothing in them moving him thereunto. So it puts in brackets and says, whereby out of his free and special love, nothing compels him to do this. Nothing necessitates him saving one person rather than another person. If it's deserved, it's no longer grace. It is of debt. It is completely because of God's mercy. It is completely because God took pity on you. Out of his free and special love. Special love. Not just the kind of like, well, God loves everybody kind of love. No, that's not what it's talking about at all. Free and special love. There's a special love. A love in which he delights. A love that is a sweet-smelling aroma before God. That is towards the elect. It's not the love for the unelect. And also at the same time, it's nothing nothing in them moving him thereunto. It's not like, wow, this group is so much more lovable than the other. This is why it's nothing to do with something within them. It's not because of your value, Todd White, or anybody else who teaches that stuff. It's because of his free and special love. He freely chooses to love in Christ those whom he has chosen before the foundation of the world. It says, He doth in his accepted time invite and draw them to Jesus Christ. It's the right time. I remember I used to always, for a couple of years after I was saved, I was like, wow, I wasted the first 24 years of my life. And yes, I should have come to Christ, humanly speaking, before. You know, there's nothing that kind of gives a kind of a a pass or a buy because you continued in your rebellion against God. However, at the same time, it was in God's time. None of that time was wasted. None of that time was... God was using it. In the same way God used Paul's pharisaical past to train him. He's his past in Tarsus. His past learning about various different things that would help him reach the Gentiles. This time was not wasted. In his accepted time, invite and draw them to Christ. By how how does this happen? By the instrumentality of his word, his word and spirit. That is the ordinary means which is used. The word and the spirit, which call all men everywhere to repent. And the only way anybody is going to repent 
and trust in him is through the Spirit of God, savingly enlightening their minds. The the fall didn't just affect it didn't just affect the heart, the will. It also affected the minds. This is why very, very intelligent people can sound extremely foolish in the rejection against God. Because in order to believe, be an atheist or an agnostic or whatever else like that, you have to engage in absurdities. The atheist and the agnostic is surrounded by proof that not just that a God exists, but the God. The God of heaven and earth. The, his handiwork speaks of him. It, de- it declares the glory of God. The fact that we're created in God's image as well, and this is why we have a conscience, also testifying to our creator. The fact that we are accountable to him. Now, fallen man will reject that. He will reject it for this reason, because he wants to rule. He wants to rule and make the decisions of his own life. He wants to be the decider of his own destiny, and he wants to take the credit for it. It says in question 67, so renewing and powerfully determining their wills, so renewing their wills, you know, because their will will be changed. Their, what they want will change. And this is why they go and turn to Christ, because of a change in their will. So as they, although in themselves dead in sin, are hereby made willing and able freely to answer his call. So up until that point, dead in trespass and sins, the only reaction you're going to get to a dead sinner is fighting against it, suppressing the truth and the righteousness, darkness, suppression of the truth, suppression of that light. That's what you will get up until that point. And then, once they have been effectually called, then, and only then, will they be made willing and able freely to answer his call and to accept and embrace the grace offered and conveyed therein. The only way a fallen man will, will embrace grace, that it is not of himself, lest any man should boast, the only way that that will happen is if God graciously, mercifully opens his eyes, shows him his condition, and by doing so, he is made willing to come. And he comes freely. There's no compulsion in us. There's no forcing in us. He once loved sin. Now he hates sin. He hates his own sin. And he also, because of that renewing of the mind, is made to love Christ. He is made to love what is good. He is made to love what is beautiful. He is made to love what is righteous. He is made to love what will save 
his soul. And he sees nothing good within him. Nothing good within him that can save him. He sees only Christ. Yes, none of us are perfect. We still have the, the flesh to contend with in this life. However, at the same time, the, the, the renewed sinner, the one who is dead to self, dead in Christ, living to Christ, he now willingly accepts the grace, the mercy of Christ. And it is a depth, dear friends, that we will spend our entire lives, we will spend eternity, we will spend all of eternity searching through a very simple truth. We don't deserve it, but the depths of which, deeper than the deepest oceans, more glorious than anything, any natural vision upon the earth, anything that you may think of that is glorious and beautiful to look upon, this is greater, this is deeper, this is Jesus Christ, the fountain of living waters. He is that well from which, the deepest well to which we can keep on and on, drawing water that will satisfy our souls, satisfy our thirst. That's why it's wonderful to study this. That's why learning of God's grace and mercy and truth, what he has done on our behalf, not just make, not just dying on the cross, but making us willing to embrace him, to making us willing to embrace the grace to come to him. Otherwise, none of us would have any hope. Otherwise, the difference would be in men. It would be mostly grace, of course, but it would not be entirely of grace. And grace and works do not mix. It's not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Are you a Christian? And if you're not a Christian, you must throw yourself upon the mercies of Christ. You must trust in him. You must forsake your sin. See that your sin is rebellion against God. Turn from it and turn to Christ. But in being made willing, it's because God did a work in you. Question 68 of the Westminster Larger Catechism. Are the elect only effectually called? Are the elect only effectually called? Answer, all the elect, and they only, are effectually called. Although others may be, and often are, outwardly called by the ministry of the word. And they have some common operations of the spirit, who for their willful neglect and contempt of the grace offered to them, being justly left in their unbelief, do never truly Come to Jesus Christ. Let's break down this answer here. So all the elect and they only are effectually called. This is all to do with the power of God. It's also called, you know, 
popularly known as Irresistible Grace, the Eye in Tulip. Others are called, invited, compelled to come, truly, sincerely, by the Word of God. They're outwardly called by the ministry of the Word and have some common operations of the Spirit. There are going to be people who will look and seem like they are born again. I I personally had experience of people I was convinced that were born again of the Spirit of God. They seem to be so interested in the Word. And later, after making a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, seemed to be growing so much in the truth, then at some stage, invariably renounce it. There will be some people, outwardly called, they will have some taste of the Spirit of God, but they won't have saving faith. They will still be in rebellion against God. And it says in this answer here in question 68, Who for their willful neglect and contempt of the grace offered to them, this is what they've done, they've neglected and they show contempt for the grace offered to them, being justly left in their unbelief, do never truly come to Jesus Christ. And this can happen in a situation where, you know, somebody, they may not openly say, oh, I reject Jesus Christ, but they may reject the doctrine of the Trinity. They may, at some stage along the line, Actually, Trinity is probably one one that usually comes up quite a bit. I've seen it a number of times over the years. You might say, oh, Jesus was a prophet, but he wasn't the Messiah or something like that. There are examples like that. Painful to see. But these are people, sadly, who have neglected to accept and embrace the grace offered to them. It says in question 68 also, for who for their willful neglect and contempt of the grace offered to them, being justly left in their unbelief. There's nothing unjust about this. They're justly left. Again, none of them are owed anything. The only thing preventing them coming is them. If you're not a Christian, the only thing stopping you from coming to Christ is you. Blaming God for your evilness. Can you imagine coming to the throne of grace with that as a defense? I can't come. It's your fault. I'm this evil. Well, your words, by saying how evil you are, actually speak against you. You're basically saying, I am too evil. To everyone to come. There is no good defense. For the any excuses that may be given. For not coming to Christ. Based on the sovereignty. Of almighty God. Left in their own belief. If you are. If you've heard the gospel. There are people who have come to Christian churches. They've heard the gospel. Over and over again. God has 
if you're not a believer, God has justly left you in unbelief. But, dear friend, while you have breath, while you have a heart beating in your chest, you have time today. Not just saying, I'll do it later. This is not some shopping list. This is not something, some email to answer later on. This is the difference between an eternity in heaven and an eternity in hell. The word of God compels you this moment, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, to trust in him. To cease from your excuses. To stop looking to this fallen world. To stop looking to your idols, whatever they may be. Forsake your idols. Forsake those idols which do nothing for you but bring you misery, but promise you much else. Don't remain in your unbelief. Don't make excuses for your unbelief. Yes, we need to go to God for the help in our unbelief. However, we will be condemned for our unbelief. It is all of grace. It's all of his mercy. It's all of his kindness. Beginning, middle, and end from eternity past. It is not because of one person being better than another. You, I am just as guilty and as sinful in and of myself, actually probably much more so than people I was out partying with years ago before I was a Christian. Those people I went out and you know, are in all sorts of metal bands, whatever, I'm probably one of the worst. But the Lord showed mercy toward me. I came to him because he showed mercy upon me. What is your excuse if you don't know him? And that's the key, isn't it? To know him. So that you would know him. Because in your condition, naturally fallen, you can't know him because you're not going to understand him. Because you don't love him. And you don't understand why anybody else could love him. Come while there is time. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Question 69 of the Westminster Larger Catechism. What is the communion in grace which the members of the invisible church have with Christ? The answer The communion in grace which the members of the invisible church have with Christ is their partaking of the virtue of his mediation in their justification, adoption, sanctification, and whatever else in this life manifests their union with him. So let's break this answer down bit by bit. So communion is really, we could think of fellowship, communication, partnership and you know often we'll call the Lord's table communion because we share communion holy communion between God and his people we share it with the body 
the communion in grace. And it's the invisible church. It is the church that has saving faith in Jesus Christ, not the ones who profess faith in Jesus Christ. All those, there may be a church of 100 people, for example. There may be five elders. Perhaps, and there's no way of telling who's one and who's the other, but perhaps five, while they don't show it openly, are unconverted. And everybody else is truly born again. That 95 are part of the invisible church. May even be one of the elders, as being some of the people unconverted. And again, this is like, there's always going to be a mixture. There's always going to be tears among the wheat, this side of eternity. Judas being among the disciples should tell us this. It doesn't mean we think we should be suspicious of every single person, perhaps with a weak testimony within our churches, always give the benefit of the doubt. However, at the same time, for the purposes of preaching and everything else, there must be, even if it's the same people in front of you for 20 years, that compelling of all who do not know him, perhaps there's somebody sat on your ministry for 20 years if you're a preacher listening to this, or whatever the case may be, that have never come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, have grown up in the church, everything else, and gone to membership classes, but perhaps still don't know Christ. And there's that reality borne out that often we won't know who's who until the end of time. Now, just if you want to say, I don't know how to interact with people, and I don't know how to deal with people, if you know, all this kind of stuff. Well, just think about how Paul dealt with the Corinthians. The Corinthians, in, in 1 Corinthians, were a disaster area. But look at what he wrote in the first nine verses of the blessings that they have in Christ Jesus. And there was nothing second-class Christian about them. They were just as much Christians as anyone else in any other church. Those churches that on paper look like the strongest churches sometimes aren't as impressive as they look on the outside. And those churches that may look weak on the outside are not as weak as they may appear. The communion grace which the members of the invisible church have with God, have with Christ, is their partaking of the virtue of his mediation. So we partake of the virtue of his mediation. He mediates on our behalf. So in their justification, we are declared righteous before God. That's the justification. Declared to be righteous. Adoption. They are made sons. Sons, children of God. That sonship. That great privilege of being part of God's family. That royal family. We talk about the privilege of royalty. You ever see... um, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle and they walked away from the royal family in 
will be in Great Britain. And they they want the the continued I suppose they want the the privileges of being part of the royal family, but none of the responsibilities. Quite frankly, that a lot of Christians can be like or professing Christians can be like that too. To have the privileges of royalty, you are a member of that family. We are a member of God's family. It's a wonderful privilege that we have in adoption. We we have we are part of a much better royal family as Christians than any royal family upon the face of this earth. Also says sanctification. As part of mystical union and that communion and grace you know, we grow in sanctification and whatever else in this life manifests their union with him whatever in this life shows that they are in union with him the fruits the we will be different whatever in this life shows that we are that we cry out abba father in our prayers cry out abba father in our prayers now the next question here is on justification, and I'd rather do this in a separate program because it is such a, a major topic and I think gets kind of skipped over quite a bit. And I'd like to take some time on this rather than just kind of putting it at the end of the program. And I'll probably just leave it here, actually. If you have any questions, we'll still be on for another minute or two, I think. Megiddoradio at gmail.com. Hopefully that's been a help to you and relies, dear friends, that if you're listening to this and you think, you Christians think you're so much better than everyone else, you've completely missed the Christian message. We have been recipients of a grace that no one else has. However, at the same time, we're, you may be listening to this not a Christian. Yeah, if you weighed up all our sins, I may be 10 times worse than you ever have been. Whatever the case may be. However, my righteousness, the, the terms in which I am accepted is not based on my merits, on what I have done. It's based upon Jesus Christ. And the reason I have come is because of a work that the Holy Spirit has done within me. That is why. See, we can get frustrated, can't we? If we don't have this truth before us, why don't they listen? We almost give up on people. Why don't they listen? Well, you know, are they stupid or something? And I've heard people talk like that sometimes. You know, why don't they get it? Well, where would you be but for the grace of God? That person you're trying to witness to and you're getting frustrated with, they are where you would be without the grace of God. So I say this, that we, show, we, should, be pity, we should show pity towards those who don't know God. Now, it doesn't mean that unbelief is not somehow sinful. It is sinful. It is wrong. It will condemn to hell. However, let us not think that we're any better than anyone else. 
We're not better than our lost neighbors. We're not better than the lost family, and we're not better than them. So next Tuesday, I'm hoping to do a program on, I suppose, the transgender destruction of society. (laughs) I don't know what the title will be yet, but it will just be kind of going through latest stories, probably Tuesday, unless something different comes up. You can email me, megiddoradio at gmail.com if you have any suggestions for programs or anything you would like me to critique. Please send them away. Um, I will have a look at them. I don't always reply to everything, as in I don't always do programs and everything, but I do try and look at all the emails and links people send in by God's grace. This has been Paul Flynn. Talk to you again soon.